I don't know, the patriarch in Moscow or something. <laughs> and, yeah, so actually, he said Greek Orthodox Church, and um, we have Greeks there. It's really great because actually our Greek families are making a lamb on a spit uh, for, for uh, a fellowship meal this Sunday. If you just want to come for that reason, you should, because we eat well sometimes when we're not fasting. But Eastern Orthodox Christianity, um, it, it encompasses a lot of different things. And the Greek Orthodox is an expression of it, I say, because a lot of people in Greek at least identify as Orthodox Christians, whether or not they, they live that out or love Jesus, you know, I, I don't know. But, you know, so we're kind of connected with, a, well, we're Eastern Orthodox, and that includes sort of a lot of things, and we'll, we'll get into that some um, as, as I go. But hi, um, I'm Father David, and uh, you don't have to call me Father, um, but that's what we do. You can call me David or... Some people even call me Davy. Actually, some of my Orthodox friends that have really, really big beards who think mine is really lame, they call me Davy. It's sort of a way to, to downplay um, my reality, I don't know. But I thought I'd start with telling my story um, about, about myself and my journey um, because I didn't grow up um, wearing a black dress um, <laughs> or even, even going to places where people did that as that were men. And, um, I, wow, I could get into all that too if you want to know how we, how we feel about you know, marriage and just so you know we're man and woman, marriage, there's no questions, all that stuff for us, is, it's rooted in, in ancient reality. That's one great thing about orthodoxy is just we're not like, oh, what's, what's everybody saying? What's everybody, everybody think about it now? And no, it's like what it is, it's what it is. I don't think that's going to offend this group, but forgive me if that just did and I started off bad. So I grew up primarily as a Protestant. I was the son of a a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod minister, and if you know anything about Lutherans, that's a conservative expression of, of Lutheranism. So I know something about and this 500-year celebration that uh, Protestants primarily and Catholics are aware of it too, um, are remembering, uh, it's a, we're a week from today, right? From 500 years from the Reformation. Yeah, I mean, as a, as a Lutheran kid, we used to dress up in October and nail 95 things to doors all over the place. This is kind of what we did. Are you familiar with what Luther did? Yeah, okay, so make sure. Yeah, uh, my own background also, lots of parachurch um, experiences and influence in my life. Uh, the Navigators, InterVarsity. I met my wife through Young Life, and that's, by the way, that's one thing that is different about us than, say, Catholics. Um, we, we, we can have wives, and I'm really happy for that. I have three kids, uh, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, and we, we, wear our, we wear wedding rings on our, the right hand because that's kind of traditionally that's what has happened all the time. We don't think you're lame if you do the left hand, but... If you think about, like, if you go to the Middle East, what's the hand you use to eat food with and what's the hand you use to uh, wipe, you know, excrement? Back in the day, anyways. Well, and where, where do you want to be? What side are the sheep on uh, versus the goats? So anyways, it kind of goes back a long way. And somewhere in Europe, like 500 years ago or something, they, they found out that the vein to the heart is closer, like, closer to the left hand. So sentimentally speaking, they shifted wedding rings over to the left hand, which it's beautiful, it's sentimental, but uh, we do, so... But I'm married, so yeah, I'm married. I've worked, I've worked with and in those kind of groups, Navigators Young Life and all that stuff, in college and after college. And it was a really positive part of my life, no doubt, no doubt. I was a, a youth and families pastor, um, a worship director and leader for a lot of years, uh, mostly in Texas. Um, and, uh, but I remember coming out of a more traditional Protestant background, the Missouri Synod Lutheran background, and going to college, I wanted to get to know other Christians. I cared about my faith enough that I wanted to find other people that were Christians. Uh, the, the friends that I made in college were from all kinds of different denominational backgrounds. And 
not to mention Catholics that I got to know too and just try to hear where they're at. And I did have, I had moments of thinking, how can we all say we, we stand alone on the word of God and yet um, we don't all agree. We don't agree on quite a few things. Um, 1 Corinthians 1.10 troubled me uh, in those years. In that, in that verse, St. Paul says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you, perfectly, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. But, you know, we were discussing and debating and disagreeing as Western Christians on things like baptism, on what is communion, the Eucharist, and does it even matter uh, in terms of it being taken a lot or not? Once saved, always saved, or not? Different views. The rapture and times, um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how they manifest themselves now in the 20th, 21st century. Free will versus predestination. What should worship look like and have in it in terms of corporate services, and did that even matter? Did they even matter? Was young life enough? Could I just be with my college buddies and there's my church? Um, you know, it, it felt like all we had with those discussions was ourselves. Our thoughts, our views, our smarts, um, how many verses someone could look up and to defend their, their position, uh, while at the same time, the other side was also saying, well, but there's this, and then there's this, and, and there's this. So we were all looking at the same book, the Bible, and we all really honored it. We, we, can we kind of say, we loved it. We didn't worship it, but we loved it. We, this was our, our thing, and, and yet there were a lot of different conclusions, a lot of different conclusions. And yet we trudged through. We decided to eventually pick our battles, you know, and then where we could agree, we, we went to those points of agreement, and we sang songs about that, about that, yeah. And I just thought, well, I, I guess that's the best we can do. I guess that's the best we can do. I wasn't sure what to do with verses like that 1 Corinthians 1.10 that I said. And I, I, I'll tell this, too. There were a lot of great moments in those years, a lot of genuine efforts, you know, to follow Christ, to be with him over the world, you know, to choose him over all kinds of things that, and I admire you. I mean, I, I admire you on the assumption that, that you are in that, that midst of thing, and that's a beautiful Christian thing, you know. Some really beautiful people I met in those years that were, you know, had different perspectives from I was. Uh, humble people. That was the most attractive thing. I, I wasn't really, and I, I'm not still so much as I should be, but experiences of love and conviction that God loves us. He loves us. Yes, that was all a part of it. After college, I went into Protestant and parachurch work full-time. That was my life and my job with a love for God a gratitude for Christ, and an awareness that he was what we all needed. The whole world, everybody needs. And I definitely felt and sensed that I, I needed him. I needed him. And then, late in my later 20s, my parents sat me down. My dad had been a Missouri Synod Lutheran pastor. Um, and they, my mom and dad, told me and my big sister that they were going to be moving to an Orthodox. This is the part that I think. No one should hear. No, I'm just kidding. That was just an accident. Um, <laughs> so, um, that they were going to be going to an Orthodox church. What? You know, like Orthodox Presbyterian, or you're not becoming Orthodox Jewish, are you, mom and dad? You know, these were the, the questions. No. 
an Eastern Orthodox Christian church. They shared a little bit about why, uh, as best they could in an IHOP booth. And by that, I mean the pancake place, not the International House of Prayer in Kansas City or wherever that is. Is that where that is? They said some things about church history and the, the visiting and the experiences, um, the readings and all that stuff. And there was no pressure put on me and my, my big sister to do anything but what we were doing. But they wanted us to know. I tell you what, it was weird. It was really weird, completely not expected, to say the least. It was totally out of East Field. I'd say out of left field, but you know this is Eastern Orthodox, so I'm going to say Eastern Orthodox. I had been a history major in college, uh, super productive, uh, as you, you know, uh, but you know, and, but like most North Americans, I knew very, very little about Eastern Orthodox Christianity. It reminds me of a humorous quote that I found by a cultural historian, and he wrote this, quote, until recently, most scholars agreed that Orthodox Christians didn't really exist. Like werewolves, fairies, and Romanians, they were simply a charming old world fable designed to delight children with outlandish details regarding the rich, luxurious beards and endless arguments about the proper interpretation of Greek words. Upon further reflection, some scholars now cautiously hazard the guess that there are roughly 250 million Orthodox Christians in the world, and actually the number is probably more than that, with a lineage stretching back to the earliest days of the church. As for what these strange, chanting hair suit, that's a word that means hairy, folk actually believe, though, no one is yet confident enough to hazard a guess." End quote. Can you relate to that? Can you relate to that? I could relate to that. I'm sitting there in IHOP. Werewolves? Romanians? Orthodox Christians? Wow. Yeah. So I was dating Patty at the time, and she's now my wife, so that worked out very well. Thank you very much. And we went to visit my parents. It was kind of meet the girlfriend kind of moment in Dallas, Texas. And Patty and I together went to our first Orthodox service. It was a Vespers service on a Saturday evening. And it was a really powerful experience for me, uh, really powerful. It was definitely different. It was different. But there was an indescribable sense of holiness, holiness, of beauty. The enormity of God, the enormity of God struck me, struck me in that place. The flow of the service, the atmosphere, the music, the prayers and the hymns and the, the images. The singers were hidden off to the side, which was not my experience as a worship leader. And frankly, that itself was very refreshing. There was nobody under lights. And I, I get the motive. I, I, just, it just was nice for me, because that's what I did for a living. And I was pretty caught up in it, to be honest. The enormity. The otherness, the otherness of God struck me. Otherness of God. I felt like I needed to take off my shoes. Like this holy ground, holy ground. And at the same time, the nearness of God. There was, he was there, he was there. Near and enormous. Other and with. Otherness. And Patty had a very, very similar Strange experience, thank God. Because if she had been like, I'm out, I mean, who knows, but we would have we talked. But she had a very like, you know, kind of experience, you know. So in a sense, I was a goner. I was a goner after that night. I began to read and learn more about Eastern Orthodox Christianity. Their claim of continuity, that was super compelling. Super compelling, continuity. The idea that there was an experience of Christianity that essentially has maintained continuity in worship and belief 
in faith and in life through the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh centuries, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth centuries, eighteenth, nineteenth, twentieth, twenty-first centuries. I think that's where we are now. That was really big, that claim. Really? Really? Are you kidding me? So the 16th century, the Reformation, it was not the experience of Eastern Orthodox Christianity. It's a Western thing. It was many former Catholics heading in different directions, trying to get back to the Bible, understandably so, from an Orthodox vantage point. Yeah. Doubting to various degrees, these reformers, that any, quote, tradition is worth paying any attention to or trusting. But that was West. It was not a part of ancient Christianity, according to the claim, which was still intact in Jerusalem, Antioch, Alexandria, Constantinople. It had gone up into Eastern Europe and over into Russia by this time. This, this continuity that originally covered all of Europe and north thereof, heroes like St. Patrick, Ireland, you know St. Patrick, Albin, Bede, Genevieve of Paris, all shared amongst all. At the time of the Reformation, the Middle East was under occupation and under siege by the Muslims, but still, but still the continuity, still the continuity. I saw, I saw that claim, and I said, if there is anything that really goes back all the way to the beginning, to Pentecost, I'd be willing to trust that. I would want that. I would want that. But in truth, you know what? I was mad. I was mad that I even knew about this Orthodox thing because my whole life was, was as a Protestant church worker. And I tell you what, I was good at it. I was good at it. And my pride and my paycheck were tied up with that. I got married, was having babies. I'm like, I, what? I mean, this is my life, people. There were times I thought, I wish I didn't even know about Orthodoxy because I'm fine. And this is messing with me. This is messing with me. And yet I was drawn. I was drawn by the beauty, by the enormity, the otherness and the nearness of God, the reality and that continuity, the continuity. And I was learning and seeing that there were more tools than I had in my Christian tool belt. The rhythm of worship and prayer through the calendar and the seasons, the sacramental life. Wow, wow, wow. I knew something about that as a Lutheran a lot more than some of my other Protestant friends, but I was seeing that there was more. There was more than I knew. More that God wants to give, wants to give his beloved humans. And seeing that the primary model of ancient Christianity was not a legal system of guilt and acquittal of guilt, of justice and punishment that had to be satisfied. No, the primary model that I was seeing and beginning to believe, because it was there, it was there in ancient Christianity, the primary model that was and is medicinal, medicine, healing, healing, the great physician desiring to save, to heal, the incarnation that doesn't make the Father like me again, because the Trinity is always unified, always unified in their love and desire to save. Christ conquered the power of sin, death, and the devil to save, to heal. The Greek verb for to save is actually, it, it totally means also to heal. The word means the same thing. And healing it's different. It's better than just plopping righteousness on me, even though I'm, still a, I'm essentially still a dung pile of utter depravity, combining Luther with Calvin. And they don't agree on quite a few things, by the way. I'm sure you've been studying that. So my journey, 
The experiences of the services and the claim of continuity and the taste of the love of God that heals, that's better, that's better than just righteous, righteousness that covers me like an asbestos suit that enables me to withstand the fire of God's judgment and wrath. Those concepts developed, developed and arose in the West. Augustine began some of it. Anselm in the 11th century picked it up and really developed it. And then the reformers, often with some conflicting degrees, extended it out. And they meant well. They meant well as they were reacting to Catholicism run amok. No doubt. But how do you know you're right when you are your own pope? If you're ultimately the authority when you read the Bible, because you can't trust anybody else or anything else, then you're just like me and my college buddies. It's this. No, it's that. It's that. No, it's this. Well, we believe that God is one, and we believe that God is triune. We believe that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. Good, good. That is always, always has been core Christianity. Core Christianity. One God, the triune God, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. That's utterly Eastern Orthodox. That's utterly ancient Christianity. But all the other stuff that matters about the fall and sin and life and salvation, how do you know you're right when you read the Bible, but essentially you're your own pope? What if there was a continuity in biblical interpretation that goes all the way back? Would you want to know about that? Could you trust that? Could you trust that? Well. That's what happened to me. That's what happened to me. Now, I may have actually upset a lot of you by already what some of the things I said, and I do apologize if that's the case. I'm, I'm actually trying to obey what Danny told me to talk about, so it's his fault if you're mad. It's not mine. <laughs> I'm just telling you my journey. I'm telling you my story. And you may think that what I'm saying about Orthodox Christianity and its claims are not true. You're free. You're free. I'm not mad at you for that. I'm not mad at you for that. And I know that I haven't unpacked everything. But I wanted to give you a sense that comes out of my own journey. And I, I wrote a song. I wrote a song about, about it, about my conversion, my change to Orthodox Christianity. And uh, as you might be noticing now, I'd like to share it with you. In Orthodoxy, we use two capos. How about you? So, I'm just kidding. It's just something I use because it makes it easier to play cool chords. Um, so this song is about um, yeah, my conversion to Eastern Orthodoxy, having come from a Western Protestant place. Um, it focuses on where I had been and the things that I was struggling with at the time that I've, I mentioned to you. And hopefully you can hear the text, hear the lyrics uh, while I was there. And, and then it, it, it moves into what happened what happened uh, essentially when I experienced that first service in the Orthodox Church. So, um, yeah. Well, actually, maybe just to, it's also an effort to kind of prove to you that at least part of what I said is true um, about having been, is there a place I can, what do you guys, you don't need, thank you. There it is. I haven't done this in a while. <laughs> but yeah, actually to prove to you that, uh, there it is, I feel it. Can you just come and like, like get down on your... I'm just kidding, no, no, no. Wow, no, I meant... I, 
He didn't understand what I meant. But <laughs> that's good. I want something right here. I'm gonna, okay. I'm gonna lean down. Well, yeah, just to prove to you, you know, that I, that I did this, so that you know at least some of what I'm saying, you know, I, I could do like, um, like, how great is our God? Sing with me, how great is our God? And all will see how great, how great is our God. So that's totally true. And um, I, yeah, thank God. So, but this is the song. I, I gotta, okay, I'm gonna go lower. It's, it's not you, it's me. Because I feel like I'm going to tip forward. The weight of the cross is heavy on my, on my chest. And it, it's, it's part of why we wear it. You know, it's just like, whoop, there it is. Uh, I'm off. Oh, Lord. That's why they sent me to Bozeman. Like, what are they going to do? How are they going to keep following me? Okay, so my conversion story. <laughs> Been living in a house that's divided However well intended This old place needs mending been running at the edge of the narrow kingdom bound but fragile struggling to find more then I came into your temple with the host of holy angels and the saints around your throne they sang your song and with the incense rising I gazed into your eyes and I knew that I had found where I belong. I turned a corner, I turned a page, I turned into someone that you have changed. I'm turning to new ways that love shown to me. I can't believe how good it's turned out to be. Been caught up in a fraction of your story, traces of your history clouded by the centuries. Been longing for the path of reverent wonder, a road not bound by this world, the fullness of your kingdom. Then I came into your temple with the hosts of holy angels and the saints around your throne. They sang your song. And with the incense rising, I gazed into your eyes and I knew that I had found where I belong. I turned a corner, I turned a page, I turned into someone that you have changed. I'm turning to new ways, 
your love shown to me and I can't believe how good it's turned out to be oh yeah it's turned out to be Thanks. Thank you. Um, okay. Well, that's the formal part of, well, pretty informal <laughs> part of the presentation. And I know there's there's some time left. And Danny had given me some things to, to talk about. And I, I think in some sense I tried to I tried to incorporate them into my story. Um, but I, I'm happy to try to address some other things about orthodoxy um, uh, for questions uh, with questions and. Um, I also, I mean, I think one thing I'll say too is I'd invite you, not in any attempt to let you do what you want to do, be Christ where you are, you know, share the gospel. Um, but you're, you're welcome to come to a service, you know. I think in some sense, if you want to know what hundreds of millions of people in the world are doing that they call themselves Christians, it'd be worth just having an experience of it. And you can do that here in Bozeman, because we do have a church down Love Lane. We're, we're the little one past Journey, <laughs> just a little bit further down, and we're not quite that big. But uh, that's what a suggestion, because um, like I said, I couldn't deny an experience that I couldn't necessarily put a lot of words to that was an aspect of conversion, um, meeting the mystery of God and his love for me. So I think in some sense, uh, it's not just your mind that, that, that gets to know God and has an opportunity to know him, but it's, it's, it's really all-encompassing. And that's a very Eastern tenet that I think in the West, I would imagine you guys understand that. But a lot of times we were just arguing a lot, and it was all about our minds. God wants more than just that. Yeah? Father David, I'm thinking um, that during lunch, hopefully we'll have an opportunity to get to chat with you a little bit, but that'll be somewhat limited, so while we're all here together and can still hear um, your answers and, and uh, your, your take on things, I wonder if um, I, I couldn't ask you a couple of the questions that uh, I'm sure we'd be really interested in. And before I ask you those, um, I'm, I'm sure we'll clap for you again at the end, but thanks for coming and sharing this is it. No, please don't. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we do appreciate Attention. and welcome the challenge. And so, yeah, we're, we're like, like you said a minute ago, I, I asked him to challenge us and see if him, why he thinks we should uh, become orthodox. And, and yeah, he did that well. well you, you already touched on uh, the gospel. You've said the gospel and you've said the word. The Greek word for salvation is the same as healing. Could you just articulate that a little bit more? How does the orthodox church, Um, it's, yeah, I'm always trying to not just dive into articulation, but it's, it's God who made us and God who loves us and God who wants us coming to save us. Most vividly, if we see the Gospels, you know, the, the big turning point between the Old and the New Testament is, is God landing on the planet as a child, you know, and coming to, um, to take on flesh, um, Becoming what he never was, uh, and yet staying what he always has been, um, and coming to save us. And you know, we we weren't able to save ourselves. You know, our sin problem, um, death as being this incredible enemy, and overwhelmed by by the reality of the devil. Um, uh, it, it took God as as man to to rescue us and to save us. And this is 
gospel is the good news. Um, God wants us, God wants to save us and rescue us from that. So, you know, in, in some sense, it's, it's probably not a whole lot different than how you would say it. Um, but um, that's, what we, that's what we believe. I think it's maybe the integration within us versus the, forgive me for being crass, but the plopping on us, you know, of, of righteousness um, that is where we see the West kind of went, followed one particular model that was given in the Gospels in the New Testament. There's a lot of ways that the New Testament expresses salvation. There's pictures and word images and stories and... And uh, one of them has some of those, those legal acquittal models, uh, but ancient Christianity says, well, we never made that the one dominant one. We saw the others as well, you know. Um, and it, it made sense to European feudal systems to kind of think about legal law, court, and stuff like that. But it also, um, you know, for us poses some trying to deal with wrath and anger and, you know, it can move in some strange directions with the father's upset and the son says, you know, I got this, and yet they're all one. You know, the Trinity is never broken, so um, uh, they're all united to save us as one God. Um, <laughs> so, like, justification is being, and for the Orthodox, is, is being made really righteous, not simply declared so. And that it involves a, a continuous union and communion with God is, is the is the path of salvation. That's the goal of, of an Orthodox Christian's life, is union with the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the path to that union is, is, is Christ, um, the second person of the Trinity. Um, so, um, and that's maybe turns into like the sacramental reality that we, we see that, which is kind of sort of voodoo to those who have sort of, you know, it's, it's very foreign. It's not necessarily even needed you know, in, in some cases in the West, depending on where you land. Uh, my, my belief gets me all. Well, it, it gets you, yeah, it gets you a lot. But, you know, if the words of the Last Supper, you know, are, are something m- mysteriously cur- real, uh, take and eat, this is my body, this is my blood. And what we see, if, we, if you read history uh, in the early centuries, this really was taken as something that was real. Um, and then the reformers, to varying degrees, like Lutherans still, still see it, and then, but a lot of others don't. So, the idea of, of being able to receive Christ, to receive grace in really real ways, in, in our innards even, you know, is, is all part of this journey of salvation that we have. Um, Father David, that's helpful, thank you. Um, if, if somebody came to you and they understood a couple of the, the doctrines you've already mentioned, they understood their own sinfulness, their need to be saved, how would you explain to them how they move from a state of need, needing to be saved, into a right uh, position with God or into yeah. Well, the articulation is certainly an aspect. Baptism, you know, has, has always been a part of the church. And so uh, we see that in St. Paul's words, you know, that baptized in Romans chapter 6, we're baptized into his death. We, we're buried. It's our personal Easter is sort of how, how the church has always seen that. And so that's, it's an actual, you know, the, 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 the images of water, and we see it in, the, in G, the Moses through the Red Sea, you know, is leaving an Old Testament type and, and you know, fulfillment in uh, in baptism, First um, Peter says baptism now saves us. That's scandalous to, to some, but you know we, we see that as it's it's all part of that journey of salvation, um, and it, it does matter. And so that's always been a part of it. So your articulation, and then your entry in through baptism, and then your continuation within the church, um, is, is all is is you with Christ. You know, um, 
unto the age of, of ages. Yeah, and this, this may be tough because I, I read some of y'all's uh, doctrinal points. So, you ready? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, ancient Christianity um, doesn't uh, hold once saved, always saved. Which, again, my dude Luther didn't either. So that was a point of differentiation within Protestantism. Um, but it, it's hard not to immediately go to, first of all, heresy or paranoia. Like, well, I was a jerk. Am I going to hell? You know, I, I slapped my grandma, am I going to hell? I mean, I thought a bad thought, am I going to hell? So that has never existed either in Christianity. And this was part of me trying to unpack and unwind, you know, some of those convictions. But so salvation is, is that journey. I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved by God's mercy. Um, but uh, um, we, we don't see it as, a, as a, a forced imprint on us for all eternity. And there's verses that would imply that it is, and there's verses that would imply that it isn't. And that goes back to my whole, well, the sower sold the seed and grew up and then died. Uh, if you don't believe in once saved, always saved, you'd say, well, here's, here's proof. If you do believe in once saved, always saved, you reinterpret that so it supports your point. Um, you know, um, so I mean, I know the verses on both sides. So then the question is, how do I know how, do I know how to interpret the Bible? And so then I went to, well, what, is the Bible always, what has Christianity always said about it? And can I trust that? And you know, again, it, the, the church has not has said, well, what we, you know, it's like if, if I'm married to my wife and you know, I love her and all that stuff, I'm committed to her, but I, I, I blow her off, I, I leave her, I sleep with other ladies, and I, you know, I, I leave her, you know, and she loves me, but I'm, I mean, you can give another analogy, but I'm not married to her anymore, you know, or I divorce her. Um, so, yeah. But I'm not paranoid because God is merciful and he wants, it's just an ongoing journey. Hard to explain it unless you've lived it because it seems like really horrifying probably to those who really hold the one saved always saved. Like, that's ridiculous and, and you're, you're putting me on the thinnest of ice and calling it Christianity. But it's always been there and it's not that thin because he really wants us and he's always going to help us. But he's not going to force us. He's not going to there you go. You got freedom, free will versus predestination. Father David, you mentioned uh, <coughs> justification, and clearly, because of just a few of the phrases you said, you you, you know about uh, you know about it. You know the different opinions. So in, in in Eastern Orthodoxy, is there is the idea of justification a legal declaration where Christ's righteousness is imputed to the one who has faith, no matter how ungodly? Or is it um, that we are made righteous? Or is there something else? I don't want to give you a, a, a dichotomy there. How, how is the, just, the doctrine of justification under Christ? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not primarily that legal acquittal before God. You know, it's Orthodox. Once again, I, I'm in trouble. <laughs> um, Orthodox believers see justification as... as a covenant relationship with him centered in union with Christ. That's the picture versus, or more than. Again, it's not that it doesn't deny there's, there's, there is legal language in the scriptures to try to give us, but it's not the big thing, and everything else is sort of, I don't know, somewhere down here. 
So I'll say that again. Rather than justification being as a legal acquittal before God, Orthodox believers see justification by faith as a covenant relationship with him. We see like old covenant, new covenant. Centered in union with Christ. And again, the way we read Romans 6, 1 through 6, which talks about baptism and then union. And um, the high priestly prayer uh, in John 17, um, I, I, I... and the glory which you gave me, Jesus is you know, communing with his Father, I have given them, he's given us his glory, uh, that they may be one, just as we are one. Um, something going on inside of us. Um, it's 11 to 50, so I, I just want to honor you. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not as smart as a lot of other people, so I'm like, this is, this is yeah. Um, I'm, not as, I'm not as humble as a lot of people. Again, that's like, wisdom comes out of humility, not out of necessarily just knowing a bunch of stuff. You can be really smart and be a total jerk who doesn't look anything like Christ. And that would matter. I mean, that should really matter. If you can argue really well, but you're just a jerk, then shut up and, and try, to, try to listen to the other person, and that's really Christianity. It doesn't mean the truth doesn't matter. 